and welcome to another episode of Decentral Lounge, which is brought to you by Global Stake, your institutional, truly decentralized bare metal staking service provider. And today, we're very excited to have a wonderful guest on the show, uh, Umed Sidoff. Umed is a CFA charter holder and the esteemed head of staking operations at Wave Digital Assets. Umed is a seasoned professional in the staking business, having managed operations of several hundred million in assets under stake. He's a thought leader in the Cardano ecosystem and played a pivotal role in the acquisition, management, and creation of the Cardano staking pool Skylight by Wave Digital. Uh, Umed's expertise and insights have been instrumental in driving forward the staking landscape. Umed, we're very excited to have you on today. Jordan, thank you very much. I didn't know I had fans uh, over at uh, your your neck of the woods, but uh, it's it's great to be uh, on your podcast. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, so before we get started, um, is there anything that you need to let us know in regards to uh, kind of your personal opinions uh, moving forward from the, the podcast? Absolutely. So um, in this podcast, uh, I just wanted to make a standard disclaimer that uh, whatever I say in this podcast is uh, I'm appearing as in my personal capacity and uh, none of the opinions that uh, I, I, I voice here should be con- uh, contributed or uh, attributed to Wave Financial, Wave Financial, Wave Digital Assets. And anything, naturally, anything that I say here should not be construed investment, financial, tax, or legal advice. Perfect. Perfect. Well, let's start with something fun and easy. I'm, I'm curious, what is your background? Like what got you into traditional finance and more specifically, what was that pivotal moment for you that transitioned into cryptocurrency, digital assets and what's led you to today? That's a great question, Jordan. Um, I basically, yes. I mean, I, my career, uh, I spent about 15 years in, in traditional finance. I, I used to um, basically finance infrastructure projects all around the world uh, with uh, IFC and EBRD. These are institutions that um, help the developing countries build their um, commercial economic capacity overseas. Um, I, at some point, I just decided that, you know, I wanted to, to move on with my life and do something else. Uh, I um, I created my own wealth management company and, and, and managed some funds at, at that point. Um, but it wasn't quite until... 20, 2017, I would say, yeah, twenty seventeen. That you know, I, I well, first, first of all, I, I got the, I, I got exposed to the Bitcoin watching a documentary. It was probably in two thousand thirteen, and I kind of laughed it off. You know, you know, being a uh, a banker, you basically look at these things as, as a skeptical with a skeptical eye. Uh, in two thousand seventeen, I got into, um, I had a a chance to take a second look. Um, and that was just because one of my friends had a VIP ticket to a uh, crypto uh, event in New York. And um, I just went there just to, you know, see what it's all about. And um, and that kind of got me hooked. So then out of curiosity, what are some challenges that you faced kind of in the early days uh, of cryptocurrency, like 2017? Because at the same time, I was kind of exposed. But you seem to have entered it specifically from an institutional standpoint from the beginning. What were those early challenges uh, via institution there and then where you kind of are today? So, yeah, my, my idea was to basically give my clients exposure to crypto back in the day. And um, I had a lawyer and, and started talking to the lawyer and the lawyer told me that, hey, Umet, you know, if you want to go that route, uh, I suggest you understand what cryptography is all about. And if, you know, if you don't know what cryptography is all about, I suggest you close down your business and just dedicate yourself in, in, uh, in, in this basically direction. 
it was a very good advice. I decided that I, I'm not going to do the traditional uh, um, wealth management at that point, And I'm just going to dedicate myself to learn more about this new technology. And that was basically the best way to describe the, the hurdles early on because the space was new. Everything was looked at uh, from a skeptical point of view with a skeptical eye, and in, including me. Uh, and until you get to a point where you start understanding the intricacies of the protocol and how uh, Bitcoin works, how Ethereum works, and what's the uh, cryptography behind it, uh, you, you're basically are um, not comfortable with with this space in general. It it does require a little bit of homework to understand um, this space. So that that was yeah, that was basically the you know those are the challenges that I faced in the beginning. So then you've been a thought leader in Cardano. Um, so for most institutional players that are just now entering the space, a lot of them are obviously struggling to grasp the multiple different cryptocurrencies. So most seem to keep it focused on Bitcoin and Ether, just based on the two largest market caps. Uh, but more specifically, my question would be, what led you to Cardano? What's kept you excited about that ecosystem? What keeps you coming back? And then how do you foresee, you know, kind of Cardano versus the other major proof of stake assets going forward? That's an excellent question, Jordan. I think you know my my evolution of my my thought when I was in you know exposed to this space was that oh great you know we have this you know cryptography that's by the way from the fifties and sixties that has been used as public private uh, private pu- private public key cryptography that is used in order to um, secure your wallets um, and then you know you have the Bitcoin where you can basically create a system of incentives that makes a network secure and decentralized. And then you can exchange value between the wallets. Um, it was a great first intro to this space. But then I thought, started thinking that you gotta, you gotta, you can't do much more with this because the first layer of trust, which is, you know, um, I am, you know, converting my U.S. dollars into digits on the blockchain, and I need to make sure that you know it, it's there, it's stable, it will never be hacked. Uh, and there's calculations that I, uh, my, you know, I went down the rabbit hole to understand what is the chance of of of, of a wallet being hacked, and, and I went through all these things. But but then I started thinking, you know, it has to be, uh, there has to be something more you could add on to it. It has to be the next evolution. And, and unfortunately, Bitcoin was kind of a already prepackaged deal and it couldn't do anything else because of the way that the scripts work on the Bitcoin. And I kind of gravitated toward, toward Ethereum. And I started reading Ethereum paper, which on the, it was, it was a great idea. Um, absolutely fantastic idea of like building smart contracts and things like that to, to leverage, uh, the blockchain. Um, but uh, it just didn't strike me as very well thought out sort of product, to be honest with you. Uh, and, and then I came across Cardano. And what gave me comfort was the fact that it was being built by cryptographers, world-renowned cryptographers working on the uh, uh, solution that would make uh, it would create a proof of stake protocol that would have the same uh, guarantees as Bitcoin, at least. And and uh, but would be much faster, much cheaper to run, 
and uh, would would unleash the, the the new era of of uh, smart contracts that that will be both secure and fast and and uh, and uh, you know um, scalable. So the, and and in 2017, mind you, it, it was just basically a bunch of papers. That's how I started, and that gave me a lot of comfort in in this product. Yes, I knew that there's a there's this possibility of there's a lot of risks with the delivery because one thing is writing a paper, the other thing is building that stuff. It's it's pretty difficult, but you know the fact that there was momentum behind it, there was you know IOG behind it, which you know was was a nicely funded you know institution uh, or, or a, a player, and there were engineers working on it. The code was on GitHub, and you know you could see the updates. And that basically made me very, very interested in this project. I have just a quick follow-up question, Ahmed. Um, this is interesting. This this walk through history because um, you know here at the Central Lounge Global State, we started our infrastructure business as interoperability fans, starting off in the Polkadot ecosystem because Gavin. Gavin Wood, Gavin Wood, who was the CTO of Ethereum at the time, realized some of these same problems that you pointed out with Ethereum wasn't going to be able to scale. It was a product that did its thing, but beyond that, it was very limited. Um, and then recently, we've seen sort of a broader adoption of the Polkadot SDK, including Charles Hoskinson recently talking about it with Cardano. Do you think that that's something because the technical shift, there seems like everybody in blockchain is using Rust as the base language. And I believe Cardano started off with Haskell, do you think it was some of those technical hurdles that you were talking about with regard to somebody writing the code and trying to like implement it on paper versus the person, the dev actually building the protocol? You feel like that there's a lot with that with this pivot now, or are you excited about you know them t- trying out the Polkadot SDK in the Cardano ecosystem? I think there's a lot of <clears throat> a lot of cross pollination in in the space, and that's a great thing, by the way, and and that's that's what I love about the space is. Is is that the space the the, the crypto uh, you know community basically innovates in different angles and then everybody uh, borrows from each other, and you know Polkadot being one of the prime examples of that. Um, it's, it's a funny thing. I think it was in 2019. I went to a, uh, a Cardano summit, and um, I was talking to the uh, um, the technical guys, uh, the, the engineers, the Haskell engineers, and somebody mentioned that the 50 percent of the global Haskell talent was there in, in that, in that, um, uh, you know, venue. And it just basically gives you a, uh, a, a scope of, of how, you know, it's, it's a great language. It's an amazing functional, uh, uh, you know, I, I really like the fact that we have functional programming, which is, uh, used in, in mission critical, uh, uh, you know, tools and settings, you know, the, the airplanes and rockets and whatnot. Um, but there, there is a, you know, a, a lack of talent uh, globally to basically, you know, um, build something really fast. So it's, it's, it's a great way of building protocols that are stable, but um, you know, if you want to expand it, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, and it expanded really fast, maybe you have to be a little bit more um, uh, open. And, and I, I really, I, I like Rust too, because Rust is a, is, is a, uh, you know, you, you, you can have the, the, uh, um, using Rust, you can write the code that will probably min- mimic most of the functionalities of of, um, of Haskell, but it's not slow, or, or you know, you don't have the problem with the talent, for instance. So, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, um, 
rule out the possibility that uh, you know Polkadot SDK could be become one of the ways to to expand the monolithic uh, you know structures in this space and and uh, get them to basically talk to each other and and all sorts of things. From more of a broad perspective, and, and hopefully this question is even framed appropriately, but Cardano, Ethereum, Polkadot, Avalanche, Cosmos, et cetera, there's all these different perspectives on cryptocurrency, perspectives on on DeFi, and, and different ways chains in this technology can be utilized. From a lot of the sources that I see out there, news publications, people seem to be kind of pushing this narrative of there's going to be a winner. There's going to be top two that'll be used long term. But there's almost a part of me that wonders if it's the opposite. And it's more, uh, for a lack of a better analogy, almost like global currencies, there's different countries with their own currencies, not trying to say it is money per se. But how do you foresee Cardano or even some of these assets going forward within the next decade? Do you think it'll lean more towards that narrative of there's only going to be a handful of winners? Or do you think the further we go down the line, 10 plus years from now, that there'll actually be 100 plus actively used different cryptocurrencies all intertwined together? That's a great question again, Jordan. Um, I think it all depends on interoperability. Right. So if, if, if you basically uh, start thinking that, that, you know, all these chains and it happens in the Ethereum EVM ecosystem, for instance, you can wrap coins and port them to another co- another ecosystem and whatever is EVM compatible, for instance, you know, you could you could play with that. Um, so if we uh, as an industry basically agree upon a standard um, uh, methodology to to port assets from one chain to another, regardless of the architecture. You know, for, for right now, for instance, you know, EVM is easiest, but um, things like Thorchain, for instance, allow you to seamlessly natively exchange tokens from one native um, environment to another native environment. So, so the, the bridges uh, like that, they, which are decentralized, actually going to pro- uh, you know provide a, a seamless and also um, fast way of, of, you know, moving value. Um, once that becomes um, a standard, let's say, then I don't see any one chain ever basically bleeding everything because, you know, this space is still new. There's still a lot of things to be done. Uh, scaling is one of the biggest problems. We haven't had a breakthrough in, in a monolithic um, architecture that would actually solve a lot of problems. I mean, the, the biggest, the closest thing that we have seen is Solana. And um, in my mind, there's still a lot of things that need to be proven in, in that architecture for, for it to become a quote-unquote winner. So my my idea of the future of this, of, of this space is basically that there would be a lot a lot more protocols doing different things. And if you want, uh, you know, a fast, uh, you know, cutting edge, you know, ZK snarks or whatever, uh, tech exposure to that technology and do fun things with that, you would move to a chain that actually actively is exploring that. And, and there would be bridges, uh, between, um, protocols to, to make, make sure that that happens. Um, but I don't think it will, it will be thousands, probably a hundred, maybe 200. Um, you know, it, it's all, there's, there's a limit on, on how many, you, you know, chains there could be in, in general, because it's, it has to be, uh, the chain has to be maintained by, you know, people, engineers, and there's a cap on that. Very true. Plus, I mean, there needs to be economics on the chain for it to even survive. So great answer. Very well thought out. Um, 
So to kind of shift back towards the institutional landscape specifically, uh, just from your perspective, you know, working with institutions, what are some emerging trends in staking or even DeFi um, that people have been asking you or that you think people should be aware of? Yeah, I think <clears throat> there's there's um, a lot of things that, that are happening on the institutional side. DeFi is, is pretty big, um, I think, driver of things. You know, it, it was very prominent up until recently when you know now now that the the treasury yields have gone up a little bit uh things are getting a little bit more competitive but back uh when when the deals were down you know you could you could get really good competitive uh you know uh lending rates or whatnot uh yields on on usd for instance um and as long as you were um open to take the risk of the protocol, let's say, you you know, USDC or USDT uh, and, and whatever farming, you know, uh, or uh, DeFi uh, applications you're, you're putting your money into, you could, you could make a good risk adjusted returns. In my opinion, again, this is a, my personal opinion on that. Um, things have, things have gotten a little bit more competitive, but it's not still um, out of the picture. I think DeFi is going to grow. It's going to grow uh, even further um, I might. I think that most of the growth is going to come. I, I'm hopeful again uh, from from emerging markets because you know in, in the United States we have so many different kinds of products. You know, financial products are very easy to 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 get in and out of. Um, but imagine like you know living in a country that doesn't have a pension system. You know, that's one of the biggest sort of. Um, applications i think in in of blockchain technology or defi products is to you know create a pension system that is completely out of the reach of of let's say a, a government um and and it's just independent you know you imagine you you are getting a salary and you basically buy into a product that is a defi product that lives on the blockchain that uh you know accumulates your your funds and invests it according to a pre uh you know, predefined algorithm, and uh, and then just gives you a pension when you retire. Um, something like this, I I think, could be a, an amazing use case for technology and DeFi. It's it, yeah. No, it's, it's fascinating. Um, I was reading an article the other day. I mean, it goes along the same train of thought that you just had, where they were talking about a way of car insurance, how housing insurance, really any type of insurance that you could make some type of an asset that if you never have to take out a claim, it continues to grow with you. And then it's something that you can either will to your kids or, or sell to somebody or like an open market. So fascinating the way that blockchains continue to shape things. Um, so separately, staying on that train of thought, I had heard you mention uh, somewhere in the past, I believe it was on another podcast, that staking is one of the most misunderstood spaces in the ecosystem. Uh, so kind of curious if you could elaborate that, like what are your thoughts around the importance of staking and the parallels it has with traditional finance, private ledgers versus public ledgers on crypto? Yeah, staking, you know, it's one of the freely used and misused uh, sort of terms in, in ecosystem, in, in, in this ecosystem, basically. Um, my idea of, of staking and the way that I, I don't want to sound, sound purist here, but staking originated uh, from the proof of stake, uh, where the coins are used as the as the source of randomness uh, to 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 select uh, the next leader to to basically uh, 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 
you know, produce a block. You know, there are different variances of proof of stake, of course. You know, for instance, you know, Avalanche is leaderless. Uh, but the basic idea is that um, staking is something, is, is a, is a um, incentive mechanism to uh, make sure that the network is secure. It has a distinct um, purpose and there is distinct um, economics behind it in order to make sure that, you know, the chain lives, the chain just, you know, propagates itself and, and, and goes on and the protocol basically executes on the decentralized network. Um, now, there are other, you know, ways the staking is being used. You know, you stake your coins in a DeFi or some other protocols and then you get something. Those are completely different. Those are more uh, um, closer to the financial products, whereas staking in, in, uh, in, in its original sense is something that you, uh, you, you have a resource, you allocate it to a, pro, uh, a, a, a protocol, and then you uh, basically get rewarded for securing a network. It's basically the same thing as mining, except that you are using your coins as your miners. There are a lot of, uh, uh, you know, if you want to go down the road of, of comparing it with mining, there's a lot of similarities and differences and, you know, pros and cons. Um, but the basic idea is that staking is, you know, if, if you think about staking uh, in its original format, it's the same thing as mining and, and it shouldn't be construed um, as something other than that. Um, now, when it comes to ledger, uh, there's there's a ledger. Uh, innov- I, I think that the basic innovation of this space, which is very mis- misunderstood, is not on you know creating some coins or creating an algorithm or whatnot, but um, uh, disrupting the way that we uh, record value. Um, the way that Bitcoin has started doing it, and everybody else kind of replicated on a decentralized network, is that. If you think about traditional finance, every corporation has its own ledger and that ledger is private. And then the accountants sit there and, you know, calculate what's the revenue, what's the cost and how all, all these things work. And, uh, and, and then the auditors come in and they do sampling and then make sure that, you know, everything is, 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 is right. And then when you ask the auditors, they have qualifications. Okay. Well, we, we can qualify that, you know, we've, we've, we've done these things and that, but, but, but again, you know, n- nobody gives you the definitive answer, <laughs> which I think is, is what any investor would, would like to, <clears throat> to have. When it comes to ledger and blockchain technology, you're, um, you don't have ambiguity. Let's say that, you know, uh, player A says that I have X number of dollars on, on a, uh, you know, in my account. Um, it's easily verifiable. If you want to say, okay, and you know, it, it could be used for collateral, for instance, right? If imagine, imagine if all the companies, um, and we're far away from it, by the way, because of the throughput, you know, um, limitations, but imagine if all the companies actually were, um, existed on the blockchain. It, it would be very easy for anybody to audit the financials of a company. Because everything will be on the blockchain, and with a click of a button, you would know uh, how many you know units they sold, what's the the cash position, what's the cash flow, um, and and it would 
not require a quarter or a you know a year of of delay to to basically get that financial picture and i think this is one of the most misunderstood parts of crypto industry and, and blockchain industry uh, the second one i want to say and, and go ahead and say that is that um you know there was this mantra you know uh, blockchain not bitcoin kind of thing and i think it was you know repeated over and over again and i think nothing is further from the truth because without the token that incentivizes the miners to to actually create and secure a network, and on, on the Bitcoin side and on the on on you know let's say Cardano side, it's another proof of stake coin, the ADA. This the these these systems would not work. So incentive schemes are very important. You know, getting them right is very important. So yeah, those would be my basically uh, two cents here. Very well thought out. Very well thought out. So the only follow-up question I have to this, because I know somebody's probably thinking it, would be from a company standpoint, when it comes to competition, I wouldn't want my competition to know that I'm purchasing um, from a certain manufacturer or supplier or maybe give them kind of a heads up of maybe a future product I'm acquiring based on where I'm doing my purchases. Um, how, How would you say a combat that perspective in regards to a public blockchain with a public company utilizing it? Shouldn't there be some type of privacy? No, you're, you're right. I mean, this this is one of the things that probably makes a lot of companies um, hesitant about this technology. I think they, um, what is, was it like shipping companies created a, a blockchain-based, um, you know, um, container shipping um container tracking services back in the day. I think it was built by IBM, but, uh, you know, it was a consortium of, of, of shipping companies. I think it didn't go anywhere because nobody wanted exactly for the same reasons, Jordan, you mentioned, because now nobody wanted to like basically put their data on, on a blockchain. Um, now to combat that you, 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 you have, uh, um, things like ZK snarks, you know, ZK technology, allows you to actually probe and get your answers for your questions without revealing the underlying information. Let's say, for instance, you could say, oh, um, you know, without telling me who the, the, the supplier is, you know, how many units did this company purchase? Yeah, you can get that. You know, you could get what's the value of those units, you know, things like that. So if, if built right, and if we, you know, put our collective minds into this technology and create it for, for you know, our economies, I think all of those questions could be addressed with, with a combination of, you know, ZK Snarks and, and, and the public blockchain um, and, uh, you know, make it work. I, I think the, 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 uh, the hesitation that's coming uh, from for traditional, you know, way of, from the traditional way of doing things is, is 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 uh, from the point of view of of middleman and and whoever has built um, it it's it has to do with the disruption of technology that would make a lot of players irrelevant unfortunately but at the same time you cannot stop the progress of this technology as I was saying it's much easier to make turnkey solutions for countries that had nothing it's like uh, you know cell phones right you know. The AT&Ts of the world had to grapple with the idea of like, what are we going to do with these, uh, you know, lines? If the cell phones come in, they had to kind of reinvent themselves. They had probably 10, 15 years to basically, you know, turn into wireless companies. But imagine, you know, you, you had zero 
coverage, zero cell phones, and then all of a sudden you have a device and then you can just do things. You can, you can make the same analogies uh, with the financial instruments, uh, with you know, countries that don't have anything, and that could probably leapfrog the ones that have, because the ones that have uh, the infrastructure, by the way, that infrastructure is pretty expensive. Um, you know, all of these people that are sitting in the middle office, you know, calculating things and making sure that everything is right, that probably, ha- you know, there would be structural changes in the economy to, to basically release them and, and then find some other new jobs for them, uh, which makes it a little bit, you know, difficult. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, in, in, in that respect, you know, if if we actually put our collective minds and, and embrace this technology, it actually un- unleashes a lot of uh, productivity and also transparency. I, I would I would dare say that it would reduce the amount of fraud, because if if you think about fraud, right? Fraud requires private ledger, and then telling your competitors or your investors, you know, it should take take Madoff. Uh, it requires that you tell them that, you know, I'm making these returns, but I can't tell you because it's company secret, right? So uh, those, those are the things that you have to kind of think about. And, uh, and, and, and something like that couldn't happen in, 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 in blockchain because, you know, you would definitely know, at the very least, you would know what the cash position of, 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 a, of a hedge fund is, you know, and, uh, you know, what are the inflows and outflows and things like that. And then you could you could uh, independently verify if the numbers that you're being given are actually correct or not. Couldn't have said it better myself. Very well thought out answer. Great response. Umed, you've been a pleasure to have on the show today. I really appreciate it. For those of uh, our guests that are listening, where can they follow you? Do, do you prefer LinkedIn? Can they follow you on Twitter or X as they're saying nowadays? What's your preferred mechanism to interact with people? Uh, professionally, I do interact with people on LinkedIn. Um, you know, on a personal level, I, I do have an account on X. Uh, it's uh, a real side off. It's at real side off uh, on, on X. Um, but uh, yeah, those those would be the main avenues. I, I'd be probably publicly visible. Amazing. Thank you. Again, for those of you that are listening, if you'd like to learn more and follow Umed, please reach out to him on LinkedIn or on X. Umed, thank you again. Pleasure having you on the show. We appreciate it. And we hope you have a wonderful new year. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jordan and Brian. It was, it was a pleasure. Likewise.